This morning, this message is titled, Fear. Fear. The only five basic fears we all live by. Um, I have gotten some information from the Psychology Today website by a man called Dr. Carl Albrecht, um, who is an executive management consultant, futurist, lecturer, and author of more than 20 books on professional achievement, organizational performance, and business strategy. He is a recognized expert on cognitive styles and the development of advanced thinking skills. So I'm kind of guessing he knows what he's talking about. A simple and useful definition of fear is an anxious feeling caused by our anticipation of some imagined event or experience. So fear is something that is in our minds only and it's not related to anything in the real world. It's not reality, it's an imagination. There are only five basic fears out of which almost all of our other so-called fears are manufactured. These five basic fears are extinction, fear of an, which is fear of annihilation, of ceasing to exist. This is a more fundamental way to express it than just calling it the fear of death. The idea of no longer being arouses a primary existential anxiety in all normal humans. Consider that panicky feeling you get when you look over the edge of a high building. I know I get that. Um, mutilation is the second one. Fear of losing any part of our precious bodily structure. The thought of having our body's boundaries invaded or of losing the integrity of any organ, body part or natural function. For example, anxiety about animals such as bugs, spiders, snakes and other creepy things arises from fear of mutilation of having something happen to your body. Loss of autonomy is the third one. Fear of being immobilized, paralyzed, restricted, enveloped, overwhelmed, entrapped, imprisoned, smothered, or controlled by circumstances. In a physical form, it's sometimes known as claustrophobia, but it also extends to social interactions and relationships. Not having control. Fourth one, separation. Fear of abandonment, rejection, and loss of connectedness, of becoming a non-person, not wanted, respected, or valued by anybody else. The silent treatment, when imposed by a group, can have a devastating psychological effect on the targeted person. And then the last one is ego death, fear of humiliation, shame, or any other mechanism of profound self-disapproval that threatens the loss of integrity of the self. Fear of the shattering or disintegration of one's constructed sense of lovability, capability, and worthiness. So all of our fears can be placed in one of five broad categories. And as with anything, when you start to put things in categories, it makes it less of an unknown and less scary in a sense when we think about it like that. So... Let's talk about Esther this morning. If you can all turn to Esther chapter 3. And we'll start at verse 12. We're talking about fear this morning. Esther 
So what we have is a man called Haman who hated a particular people because of one particular person and he put things into motion that would cause all of the Jews to legally be killed on a particular day. And so in Esther 3 and 12, this is the beginning of putting that plan into motion. See, what Haman didn't know is that the queen was actually a Jew. And so we pick up our story. Then were the king's scribes called on the 13th day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language in the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. We were talking about more or less global extinction of the Jews at this time. They had been carried away into captivity and there weren't many uh, left to, to tend the land in, uh, in the land of Israel. So by making this commandment, it was going to be an extinction of God's people. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Ada, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. So basically everyone was expected to get in on this command. The posts went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. It's not going to bother them. No consequences for them. But the city, Shushan, was perplexed or in confusion. And then the next chapter, when Mordecai, who was the Jew that Haman hated, perceived all that was done, Mordecai ran his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry. He knew what was at stake. He knew that if everything went according to plan, that the Jews were gone and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. He was mourning for what was going to happen. And in every province, whither the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. See, the Jews weren't even allowed to defend themselves. This was something that was going to happen that was completely outside of their control. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. She knew that Mordecai was fasting, was, was mourning, but she didn't know why. She was completely unaware of what was going to happen to her people. 
So Hadash went forth to Mordecai under the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. And so he gave the copy of the writing of the decree as well. And then Hatak came back and told Esther what Mordecai had said. So Esther then let Mordecai know her situation, what she could do and what she couldn't, saying that all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever men, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. She was saying, there's nothing that I can do about this. I can't even talk to him without dying myself. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so Esther then basically said, fast. Fast for three days and three nights. And I'm going to do the same. And then I'm going to go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. I'm basically going to break the law. And if I perish, I perish. She had made her decision. Queen Esther was afraid, and for good reason. Her life hung in the balance. She knew what the right thing was to do, but she also knew the consequences, the very real consequences of doing the right thing. In her case, it could mean her life. She knew what to do, but her life was on the line. So she did it prayerfully. And she saved both herself and all of her people, her entire race, because she trusted in her God. She put her trust in God. You see, fear is something that will cause us, will stop us from doing what we know we should do. Fear is something that is... Or to do with self. It's about doing, about thinking about ourselves first. It's about not allowing God to do what He wants to do in our lives. It's about protecting self. The Bible talks about the fearful not entering heaven. In Revelation 21 and 6, it says, And He said, Unto me it is done. This is Jesus talking, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's interesting that it talks about the fearful and the unbelieving among the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, and the idolaters, 
But God is saying that being fearful is not something that he has planned for his people. See, this fearful is talking about being so afraid of following Jesus or the consequences of following Jesus that you don't get saved and walk in victory. You see, Queen Esther was about to fall into that category. She was going to be fearful, so fearful that she wasn't going to do what God wanted her to do. But Mordecai helped her to overcome her fears. And we have been tasked with reaching and saving our people, our friends, our family from a fate worse than death. From the eternal pits of fire in hell. We can't afford to let our own fears of rejection get in the way of reaching this lost and this dying world. God has given us a commission. God has given us a task to reach out, to reach out to this world. But we can't just go out on our own strength. That's not how it works. We need to go out prayerfully, just like Esther did. Some will receive what we have to say, and others will reject what we have to say. But if they reject us, they won't be rejecting us. They're actually rejecting Jesus. What about Job? Job was afraid. In the very start of Job, it says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. This was a fear. This was a respect. This was a reverence of God. That is a good type of fear to have. We should always be respecting God. But Job was a man who was so careful that he prayed in case and, and offered up offerings just in case his sons did something wrong, just in case they erred, just in case they sinned. Job was a perfect and an upright man who feared God and removed himself from evil. And God blessed him very greatly for his service to him. But Job was also a very careful and a cautious man, more cautious than he needed to be. He was offering burnt offerings on behalf of his sons when his sons were the ones who needed to atone for their own sins. He was afraid of something that may never have come to pass. Job was a man who lived with many fears from day to day. And in Job 3 and 25, it talks, he says, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. He lost everything. He lost his sons. He lost all his possessions, his goods, and he was struck down with boils all over his body. He reached the very bottom of existence in constant pain and discomfort. That which he greatly feared was come upon him. He was a man who lived with fears. But when we talk about this type of fear, this thing that I greatly feared has come upon him, it's nothing to do with our words. We can't speak anything into existence ourselves. God is the one that speaks things into existence. It's got nothing to do with punishment for having fears. 
That's not why Job went through what he did. It wasn't because of his fears that he went through the trial. It was because he loved God and because we have an adversary. We have an enemy in Satan. How many times have you been afraid of something and it actually came to pass? I would imagine that it's very, very small. Maybe on one hand, maybe even it's never happened. You see, it's easy to be afraid of things that you don't know. Fear of the unknown is is something that many people have. You, you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know whether you're going to be able to get out of a situation. You don't know what the future holds. There's a fear of the unknown. But God has not called us to fear. It's not something that needs to bother us at all. The Bible says that fear has torment. First John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. Jesus doesn't want us to live in fear. That's not something that needs to be a part of our makeup or our existence. Fear is something that we all struggle with from time to time, some people more than others. I know that my personality is something that is predisposed to fear, to anxiety. But Jesus, but for Jesus, and he has delivered me, he has brought me out of fear in many ways. And, you know, there's still things that I need to work on. There's still things, but if you knew me, what I used to be, <laughs> then there's, the Lord has, has delivered me. The Lord has, has made me confident. The Lord has made me bold in many cases because or because of Jesus. There are many people who on the outside look like they've got it all together. They look like nothing bothers them. They look like they're confident. They look like they don't have a care in the world. But inside, they're a mess. Inside, there's inner fears. There's inner hang-ups. And there's self-esteem issues. It's like having a little scared little kid inside. And sometimes the bolder you are, the more confident you are, it's an overreaction to hiding the way you really feel inside. An overcompensation. You see, it's not what we put on for the rest of the world to see that makes us who we are. It's not the mask that we have or what we make ourselves to be or even try to think that we are that counts. Jesus sees inside us to the very core, the very center of our being. He knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And it's what he sees inside that matters. You know, many times we can put on a mask. We can make out that we're one type of person when inside we're something different. When inside we're a mess. When inside we don't know what's going to happen to us. We're full of fears and struggling with ourselves. Jesus wants you to know that we don't need to be afraid. In the Bible, many times, it talks about how God has got everything in control. He won't let anything happen to us 
that is not in his plan. You see, I, as I mentioned before, I've struggled with fear for many years. You see, fear causes you to hold back from doing things for God and for yourself because you're afraid of failure. You're afraid of messing up. You're afraid of doing things wrong. You're afraid of whatever, any, anything from those five groups that we talked about. Fear has torment, as we just looked at. You're not confident that you will get a good outcome, so you don't do anything at all, which is worse than just actually trying. You might be afraid of the unknown, the problems that might come up, but then again, they probably won't come up at all. And it's just our imaginations playing tricks on us again. We should always be cautious and wise when making decisions. Yes, definitely. We shouldn't throw all caution to the winds and just go and and jump off a cliff or something, expecting everything to be all right. We should always use common sense when making decisions. We should seek the guidance of the pastor if the decision is big enough. But there comes a point where you know that it's the right decision or the will of God. And that is when we put the whole situation in His hands. It's not ours to worry about anymore. God has put something in His Word. God has let us know something very strongly. Then it's God's problem in many ways because we just need to follow Him. We just need to be sensitive to His Spirit and God will bring it to pass. God will sort it all out. God will do the heavy lifting because we can trust in Him and in His Word. We don't have to worry about the big things when we leave them in His hands. And we don't have to worry about the little things either. Fear and worry have side effects on us spiritually, mentally, and physically. We weren't designed to handle worry and stress continually, whether it's from outside whether it's from other people, or whether it's inside us. Jesus said that he would carry our burdens. He He said to cast all your care upon him, because he cares for us. You know, some people find it hard to believe that God actually cares for them. Some people struggle with that for most of their lives, sometimes their entire lives whether it's through bad experiences, whether it's through their personality. But God cares for us. Jesus cares for us in a way that we could never even understand. He loves us. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus is saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Fear is a weight. Fear is a heavy burden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my burden, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. It's interesting that a burden will help you to find rest. For my yoke, my burden is easy, and my burden is light. See, what Jesus puts upon us is easy for us to bear. It's easy for us to carry. It's not 
something that's meant to push down upon us or crush us inside. It is something that is light. It's something that brings peace. It's something that brings joy. It's something that brings love. We've talked about perfect love casting out fear. In 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Here, yeah, fears is not made perfect in love. Do we have perfect love for our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents? Hands up if you've got perfect love, if you've never made a mistake. We all make mistakes. We all hurt the ones we love. That's not the perfect love that it's talking about. There is only one who has perfect love, and that's Jesus, our Savior, our God. He is the one who will cast out the fear as it's talking about in that verse if we'll just accept his perfect love into our lives. Jesus loves us with a perfect love. Sometimes it's not easy to accept Jesus' love into our lives. It could be through past hurts, past failures, people letting us down, our parents letting us down. Yet Jesus offers it all to all of us with open hands, asking for nothing in return, just to accept his love. The question is, have you been able to accept Jesus' love? Is it something that you've been able to say, Jesus, I don't understand why I can't see any worth in myself, but... I, I know that you love me. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't believe I'm worth it. I don't believe I'm worthy, but I know you love me. And that is something that will free you. Free you from the bondage of fear and of worthlessness. When we look at the definition of fear, we realize that it's all in our minds. And our enemy... Satan will attack us exactly there. There's no basis in reality whatsoever when we have a fear. We imagine something happening. Our imaginations run wild and they, they, they get taken away. We, we think of the worst case scenario. I remember when I was quite a bit younger, there was a, a gap between rocks um, we're out in the bush somewhere and, uh, and just needed to get over there to, to get back to where um, our, our camp or back to the car. And so I was there, I kind of paused at the, the, the edge of the rock and, and, uh, and you know, my brother Paul Nightingale had his, his hand out, you know, to pull me up, make sure everything was okay. I was looking down and, and thinking, you know, if I slip, I'm, I'm going down there, and that, that's, that's a pretty long way to fall. And I'm imagining all of the different things that could happen to me. And then, and then you know, Brother Paul kind of brought me back and, and said, you know, don't, don't, don't worry about what's going to happen or what, what you think might happen. And so the, he, he, I took his hand, and everything was fine, of course. See, our imaginations, we build things up in our minds. Something, it wasn't even a huge crack. But it, it was it was big enough to if you if you did make the the wrong move that yes you could possibly in in a once in a blue moon 
uh, it might have actually happened. But it wasn't reality. It was something that was completely in my mind, and it was just getting bigger and bigger as I was thinking about it. And it's like, well, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to even try? That is fear. Fear is crippling. It will stop you from doing things. It will stop you from doing what God wants you to do. It will stop you from talking to people. It will stop you from reaching out when God wants us to reach out. We can play it over and over in our minds until it seems real or something that is going to very likely happen. But it's just a phantom. There's no substance to it whatsoever. The Bible talks about casting down imaginations. In 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Why does it exalt itself against the knowledge of God? Because when we know God, we know that He has all power. We're basically saying, God, I don't think you have all power. I don't think that you're really God. I don't think that you can handle this situation. I don't think you have the power to deliver me from this. I don't think that you're able to free me from this fear. That is what exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The Bible doesn't want us to be afraid. We don't have any reason to be afraid. I've gone through many trials in my life. I've gone through many situations that I would rather not have gone through. I've been through financial stresses and pressures. But I kept my faith in Jesus. And yes, some things were hard. Some things you didn't know what was going to happen. We did our best and then... I just left everything else in the Lord's hands. And the Lord brought me through. And then, so God's, you know, God's, um, God's past record of, uh, of victory and uh, is pretty good. <laughs> his ability to get us out of situations, His ability to protect us, to keep us, to support us, is unparalleled. You're not going to get anything like that in this world. God has a pretty good record, and he's never let me down. Bible tells us what we should be thinking on rather than these imaginations. In Philippians 4 and 6, it says, Be careful for nothing. That doesn't mean be stupid, but we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be full of cares and worries But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Instead of the cares, instead of the worries, instead of everything that that can go on and often does go on in your minds, Jesus offers us peace. And Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things, these are the things we need to think on are true, not imaginations, not fears. Those things aren't true. They're not real. They're just something in our minds. We don't need to worry about the future because God has the future in control. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, what 
So whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Fear is none of those. And then it continues, On those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Once again, it's talking about peace. When we allow him to take control of our fears, then there will be peace. If our minds are always thinking on the negative and the bad things that could happen, then we will get paralyzed and nothing will happen or get done in our lives. We won't even allow God to help us. If fear is causing us to think about something bad over and over again, then we're not thinking about the good things of God. Real life example, if you get a tune in your head, it's really difficult to get it out, especially if it's a catchy tune. And you can try as hard as you can. You can stop thinking about it. You can, you can, you can try doing other things, but it keeps coming back and back and back. But the tune will keep coming back because it's stuck in your mind and reinforced each time you sing, hum, or whistle it, even if it's accidentally. But if you replace it with another tune, then it becomes easy. If each time the tune comes back, you you sing a different tune, then the new tune will replace the old one in your mind. And hopefully the tune that you choose will be less bad or annoying than the one you had in your head in the first place. Sometimes you can make things worse for yourself. But the same thing goes with fears and with evil thoughts as well. You get your mind caught up in fears and it will just keep going on repeat over and over and over and over again. And you get more and more paralyzed. You get more and more afraid of what could happen. But that's not based in reality. If we focus and concentrate on those fears and thoughts, they will gain an even greater foothold and we won't be able to break free. But if we actively think on the good things of God and things that are honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous and praiseworthy, then those other thoughts will get crowded out and die. If we are afraid all the time, we haven't let the perfect love of Jesus fill our lives and our minds. We can do with some active thinking on Jesus and his things to replace those fears and those bad thoughts. If I could get someone to the piano, please. Jesus doesn't want us to live in fear. To be constantly afraid of everything or even many things or even one thing over and over and over again. Jesus wants us to trust in him and in his judgment. He knows what to do. He knows the best way for us. There is nothing that is too hard for Jesus to handle. In Genesis, Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a child. And Sarah laughed 
when the angel told her that she was going to have a child. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he reconfirmed that promise that he had given. Sarah is going to have a son, according to what I have said. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah realized that God could do anything. In 30, Jeremiah 32 and 17, he says, Our Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. Sometimes we forget that. We forget that God put everything into existence in the first place. And there is nothing too hard for thee. And then the Lord answers him in Jeremiah 32 and 27, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? There is nothing too hard for our Jesus. He wants us to cast everything on him, all of our cares, our fears, our doubts, our uncertainties, anything that will cause us to be afraid. He wants to take care of them and give us a perfect and a lasting peace. He doesn't want us to be tormented by fears. We don't have to be tormented by anything. Jesus has got our lives in his hands. We can leave everything in Jesus' hands. No matter how big or bad the situation or the giant or the mountain in your way, we can trust in Jesus and leave everything to him and allow him to take care of it. Jesus has called us to trust, not fear. Even if it's something that the doctors, physicians, chiropractors can't do anything about, Jesus is the God of healing and miracles. He can change lives and situations and reverse them in a heartbeat. Nothing is impossible or too hard for our God. I'll repeat that. Nothing is impossible or too hard for our God. In Luke, it talks about Elizabeth, who also was old and couldn't have children, same as Sarah. And then it goes on to say, For with God nothing shall be impossible. In Luke, Jesus says the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You see, we can live our lives full of fear. We can live our lives not really understanding who Jesus is and what he can do in our lives, that he really does have everything in control. You know, Jesus is able to keep and protect. My wife got home, uh, came home from school, went a different way, and noticed that there were some tiles missing from our, the roof of our house. And, well, not missing, just moved, moved around this place. And... So she carefully went in, but there was nothing disturbed. And 
put everything back um, on the roof with the help of a neighbour. But those tiles wouldn't have moved on their own. The likelihood is that someone was trying to break into the house. And whether they were disturbed, whether God sent an angel, I don't know. But God is able to protect us. God is able to keep us. We don't have to be afraid of the future or of what might happen or of what could happen. You know, I'm not afraid about anyone trying to break into the house. It hasn't happened since. That was a few weeks ago. See, because I know that God's got everything in control. He is able to look after. He's able to protect. He's able to keep. He's able to do anything in our lives. So, if there's something, a situation in your life that you haven't been able to give over to God, something that has been pressing on your mind, praying on your mind, and, and you just can't seem to get victory over it. You can't seem to leave it in God's hands. Now is the time to do that. Remember just how great our God is. Saying that this morning, how great is our God. There is no one greater than our God. There is no one who is more worthy to put our lives, our situations, our fears our imaginations in his hands. And, you know, you might be afraid to come to the altar. I'm no stranger to that. I used to be afraid to come to the altar when I was young. It's all to do with the fear of the unknown and perhaps thinking that people are going to be looking at you and judging you. We're not going to judge you. And Jesus isn't going to judge you either. You know, when we make a step, to go to the altar, when we make a step to get close to Him, when we make a choice to come to Him, then He will show His love to us. We just need to make that first step. And there are many who don't get the Holy Ghost for a while because they're afraid. There's a fear of what's going to happen, you know. Uh, am I going to lose control? And what, what, what's going to happen? But Jesus never gives you a gift that is going to be bad for you. And the Bible talks about the Holy Ghost being a gift, something that He has promised to those who will choose to follow Him. So I open up the front of the church this morning. Now is your opportunity to be delivered from your fears, from anything that is keeping you bound.